Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. I'm hanging in there. I think we found the routine for school days, and the weather feels like fall, and maybe my kid will be vaccinated soon. Not sure if that will have happened by the time this drops, although now that I say that, it will have. She will have had her first dose by then definitely by the time you're hearing this. Today, we continue our journey with Aeneas. As a reminder, I'm working from the Fitzgerald translation. We are up to book five. At the end of the last book, Aeneas finally sailed away from Carthage, leaving death and destruction in his wake. He notices the fire, but he has no clue why it's there, and he doesn't seem to be terribly concerned about it either. Nice. They sail for a while with no sign of land in any direction, but then the helmsman, Pelinerus, notices some storm clouds and tells Aeneas that he's pretty sure which way they can go to reach Sicily. And Aeneas has a friend named Acestes who just so happens to rule there, so off to Sicily they go. And just as Aeneas hopes, Acestes is thrilled to see his old friend. They rest and feast for nine days, of course, and then they get around to something that has long been neglected, a funeral for Anchises. A proper funeral, with lots of funeral games. Lots of funeral games. Up first, a boat race. Why I like boat races. But I digress. There are some important people in this boat race, or, you know, their descendants will be. Their descendants will become the major clans in the Roman Republic. So Virgil goes into detail. But the race itself boils down to this. Minoitius is worried that he's going to steer into the reef, so he swings wide, giving Cloanthus the inside lane. Gias throws Minoites overboard and takes over the tiller himself. Everyone thinks this is hilarious because Minoites has to swim to shore. But then Sergestus takes the lead, at least until he crashes on those very rocks that Minoites had been worried about. It's okay, though. No one drowns. Cloanthus regains the lead and wins the race. Sergestus comes in last, and everyone gets a prize, either for winning or as consolation for their embarrassment. Up next a foot race. They set up a track and seven men line up and they're off. Nissus starts off strong but then he slips on some blood. It's a spot where animals have been sacrificed. He knows that he won't be able to win so he decides to help his friend Euryalus by tripping uh, Salius. Euryalus wins. Salius cries foul but once again Aeneas makes sure everyone gets a prize. The third event is boxing. One man, Dares, steps up to the challenge, which makes it not much of a challenge since no one wants to fight him. Eventually, everyone convinces Antellus, the former heavyweight champion of the world, to fight. At first, it doesn't go well for Antellus, but he eventually gets the upper hand and Antellus wins. For his prize, he gets to sacrifice a bull, which he does with a single punch to the bull's head. And then he drops his gloves and retires from the sport. Next is the archery competition. They tie a bird to a string and take turns trying to shoot it. Eurydian manages to hit the bird, but Acestes hasn't had a chance to shoot yet, so he does anyway, and his arrow catches fire and leaves a burning trail across the sky. Clearly, this is a sign from Jupiter, so Acestes is declared the winner. The fifth event is a riding display put on by the boys and led by Ascanius. Meanwhile, up on Olympus, where we haven't been in a while, Juno is watching. 
She wants to know why the Trojans all look so happy, so she sends Iris to investigate. Iris disguises herself as an old woman named Barrowy. She wanders among the Trojan women, stirring up trouble. She tells the women that she had a dream about Cassandra, and in her dream, Cassandra said that this is where they should settle, which is an interesting thing to do since no one ever believes Cassandra anyway, yet apparently this works. So Iris, in the disguise of Barrowy, takes a torch and sets some of the ships on fire. Now, before the other women can join in, the eldest, Pirgo, announces that whoever this woman is, she's not Barrowy. She just <laughs> saw Barrowy on the other side of the camp. Clearly, Iris should have picked a different disguise. Anyway, the women look from Iris to Pirgo and back again, and they ultimately decide to screw it. They are sick of all of the travels that seem to be leading nowhere. They pick Iris, uh, they pick Iris and start to set the ships on fire. Eumelus sees what's happening, and he runs back to where the funeral games are being held. You'll recall that the boys are putting on their horse show. Ascanius leads the charge to go to protect the ships. On seeing him, the women are freed of Juno's influence, but that doesn't stop the fires from burning. Aeneas calls to Jupiter for help, which arrives immediately in the form of a massive rainstorm. But Aeneas still starts to wonder if maybe the women are right. Maybe they should just settle here in Sicily. Don't worry, Nauti steps in and reminds him of his destiny, and when that isn't enough motivation, Anchises' ghost comes to Aeneas in a dream and tells him that he's to go to see the Sibyl of Cumae, who will help him visit the underworld. That's enough for Aeneas. He decrees that they will go on, or at least most of them will. The old women and the men who don't care about honor will settle here. So Aeneas lays out the boundaries and names the neighborhoods after his old home, Troy and Ilium. And of course, a temple for Venus and a tomb for Anchises are built. And Acestes is thrilled. But before the rest sail away, a feast. Nine days of feasting, of course. And then on the 10th, they say farewell to Acestes and those who've chosen to stay behind and off they go. Meanwhile, among the gods, Venus is worried. She turns to Neptune and asks him to give her son safe travels. Neptune sighs, but agrees on one condition. That night, he sends Somnus, sleep, to overtake Pelinarus, Aeneas's navigator. Pelinarus falls asleep and falls overboard. He cries out for help, but everyone else is also asleep. And that's Neptune's price for safe passage. And that's also the end of book five. I'll start by saying that I find this book to be way too long. Maybe it's because I'm not really a big sport girl, or maybe it's because every single event is described in full detail. And then, everyone gets a consolation prize anyway, so does it really matter who wins? Yes, the answer is yes, of course it matters to the Romans. I mean, to us as modern readers, meh. We no longer know all of these important Roman family names. And if I didn't have marginalia reminding me of that fact, I wouldn't have remembered that was part of the purpose of this book either. There is another section, uh, so th this is another section where we see that the Aeneid is propaganda. Um, and 
This is the reason that Augustus wouldn't let the unfinished manuscript be destroyed. Not necessarily this book in particular, but this book contributes to that Roman need for this this epic to exist. Still, I wish it didn't go on and on and on and on and on and on. Anyway, one of the fun things uh, about these ancient travel epics is trying to place them on a modern map. Um, you can Google and find maps of Odysseus's travels, maps of the Argonauticus travels, right? Maps of of Aeneas's travels. Um, but with this one, don't don't think too hard about the geography. Sicily is supposedly where <laughs> where the Cyclops lives. Um, so where they saw Polyphemus, and yet here we are on Sicily again, and it is a very different place. The Sicily we saw earlier was not hospitable at all. Um, I don't know, maybe they're on the other side of the island, and they don't realize, you know, Polyphemus doesn't realize that there's this whole kingdom on the other side of the island where he lives. I don't know. Don't don't think too hard about it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. What what we're seeing is that there's a conflict between the established mythology from the Greeks that Virgil was trying to fit his story into. And as he knew the geography of Italy and the islands near Italy, trying to fit, make sure Aeneas hits on all of these landmarks that the Roman audience would be familiar with. It doesn't necessarily line up as well as one would hope when we then superimpose the geography of the Odyssey onto it, even though it it is like it's there. It just don't 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 think too hard about it. That's all I'm trying to say. The last thing that I want to touch on today is our good friend Juno and her interference towards the end of this book. What stands out is that Iris stirs up trouble, but even when the women realize that they've been tricked and when they have the chance to take a breath and make a reasoned decision, they still opt to burn the boats. It's not an act of passion or insanity or possession, even though there is a comment towards the end that, oh, their their influence of Juno's influence ends, but it's not, that's not it's an influence. It's not necessarily a possession that it's not like their eyes are cleared. They still, some of them still stay behind, right? So they make, the women make a choice. Aeneas, on the other hand, we see just going along with everything that he's told to do. And at first glance, maybe that's what the women are doing, but it's not. They weigh the options and decide they want to stay on Sicily. And it's not simply because Iris suggests it. Iris suggests it because she sees that the women are already unhappy. And unlike a lot of the interference that we see from the gods, this one is more of a nudge toward a decision that the women were already on the verge of making. 
So what are your thoughts? Do you have a favorite funeral game? Pop over to the blog and share. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. You can also find me on Patreon as triumvirclio, and that URL is in the show notes too. In the next episode, we'll cover book two, chapter five of the Bibliotheca. It's all about Heracles, so it should be fun. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.